Oxford Belpert and the Tijuana Brass, I'm Meg Rowley, and on this edition of Fangraphs Audio, I welcome Fangraphs senior writer Jay Jaffe to the program. Jay and I discuss his impressions of the first week of KBO action, the teams he's finding the most compelling, and the differences between the KBO and MLB that he has appreciated most. Plus, we discuss his recent piece on the impact the cancellation of induction weekend has had on the Hall of Fame, as well as the people and small businesses of Cooperstown. All of that is coming up, but first it is my obligation to tell you that Fangraphs memberships are now available at Fangraphs.com. For the monthly cost of the Mother's Day card you forgot to purchase on time, you can support all the great work at Fangraphs, including Jay's excellent reported work on the KBO, Rachel McDaniel's exploration of players gone missing, Eric Longenhagen's top prospect lists, and Dan Zimborski's projections. You may also, for a slightly greater sum, purchase an ad-free membership, either for yourself or as a gift to someone else, and enjoy Fangraphs without banner ads, facilitating faster loading times. It really is the best way to support and experience the site. That bit of business being complete, I take you to my conversation with Jay Jaffe, senior writer for Fangraphs, which begins right now. recording here and joining me live well it'll be not live when this goes up but uh live at the moment from brooklyn it's jay jaffe jay how are you uh i would say i'm hanging in there yeah. <laughs> i'm glad glad to be uh glad to be feeling like a little bit upbeat at least you know after a, a tough time but uh every day is every day brings new challenges and and you know the best the best you could do is is hope to keep your head above water and right now i feel like i'm doing that at least well, that's good. Yeah, I feel like, you know, we're going to start era adjusting our feelings like we era adjust at. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, it, rel- yes, relatively speaking, I think, I, you know, I think I'm okay. I mean, certainly yeah. when I look around at what others are, are dealing with right now, I, 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 can't, I can't complain. You know, our hardships are, are, are comparatively minor because we're healthy, you know, above all, we're healthy and, and still employed. Yeah. And still employed in an industry that, you know, that's, uh, we're on eggshells, but just the same. You know, we found uh, we found some live baseball this the, the this past couple of weeks, and that's yeah. been that's been a boon. Yeah, you know, it's a it's an odd. I don't know if this has been um, something that you've had to to sort of deal with as you've been watching the KBO. It's been on the one hand just so remarkably comforting and relieving to have live baseball, and also I feel fretful about how much I'm enjoying it because. I want to, you know, when faced, if we are faced with a pronouncement from people who actually know something about epidemiology, which is not me, that we should not have baseball, live baseball here, I want to, I want to listen to them because it's important that we listen to experts. But I worry about how good baseball feels making people a little uh, weak and vulnerable to bad decision making. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, when I, I, I mean, these, these plans are bullish, you know, the, the, just the various uh, configurations that, that are out there and the, you know, idea of like a, you know, a, a, a June spring training and an early July opening. I mean, you know, you can say what you want, but it's ultimately, it, it's not much different than, you know, Trump saying he wanted the country open by Easter. Uh, you know, there are going to be very clear indications as the as things become more real as players have to start traveling yeah. as the risk presents the risks present themselves when players are back in spring training as to whether this can get pulled off i will not be surprised in the least if they try to force the issue before you know the the rest of the country or those the regions where they're doing this would however 
it plays out uh, is ready we shouldn't be surprised at all if there are setbacks if they're you know if they're just blundering into this uh in the hopes that they can they can will it to health and put players at risk so you know i I think that the realities on the ground will 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 dictate what can happen uh regardless of of the wishful thinking of rob banford and the 30 owners and 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 whoever else is on board with you know this uh rose-colored glasses uh stands towards returning to play Yeah, they do seem quite determined. And I understand. I think that there are motivations for that kind of a return that are not purely about money. Although I imagine that the money is dictating a lot of it. They money money their money very money. (laughs) (laughs) But let's, let's turn our attention for a moment to a league that has been able to return to play. The KBO, as we mentioned, had its opening day, which was delayed, but they were able to conduct their opening day this week and we had live baseball jay you you have a dog and a small child that lives in your home how are you consuming kbo right now what is are you Uh, are you doing this live or are you uh, benefiting from the rebroadcasts yeah it's it's been it's been a combination the first night that the the season opened when the game started at 1 a.m and then was rain delayed i stayed up till like 2 30 the four o'clock and five o'clock games or or whatever i've i've TiVo'd uh, a couple and caught a few innings here and there, or caught a few innings on the rebroadcast uh, on you know, the afternoons on ESPN. This morning, uh, my daughter asked to watch some baseball, and I pulled up uh, the TiVo of uh, yesterday's uh, KBO game. Neither of us were the wiser because I, I didn't know what the result was. So, <laughs> you know, it's it, it's bits and pieces. I mean, it's 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 not unlike my spring training viewing uh, sure. when. When I don't see any game from start to finish, I just catch a few innings and, and uh, uh, you know, just enjoy the baseball flavored atmosphere surrounding me. And, and right now that's enough. I've been very busy with, uh, you know, with the work and it's a challenge to to navigate work and child care at the same time. So my time is, ne- is, is almost never my own. Um, yeah. And you know, we sit back a little, and, you know, and watch a little bit of baseball here and there. But uh, it's going to be a while, I think, before I get, uh, you know, find a way to, to do a start to finish game. You yeah. know, and, and I, I can accept that. I think uh, I might have to look into uh, upgrading the uh, the office TV so that I can uh, DVR games directly on here. Oh, sure. Or stream them from the from from the TiVo now that I think about it onto my iPad. Oh. oh, yeah, I have watched one start to finish, but a lot of my KBO viewing has been sort of similar in that I've checked in for a couple of innings at a time, which I have to say feels feels very comfortable and familiar because I was thinking about this. You know, it's very rare for me, even when it's just the normal season, until we get to, to the postseason, it's very rare for me to sit down and watch a, a whole game start to finish, you know, first pitch to last. Right. You know, I end up having to bop around uh, during the regular season until the last couple innings of the, you know, the late West Coast game. So in that respect, I guess it doesn't feel all that dissimilar. Yeah. One of the one of the things they don't tell you about taking up life as a baseball writer is you actually don't get to watch that much baseball start to finish so much yeah. as you're looking over, looking, you know, peering over your laptop or or over your shoulder at the at the monitor or whatever and you know you're getting a a stretch of complete undivided attention on baseball is a rare thing when you when you have uh, that that blinking cursor in front of you and and the responsibility to uh, to fill pages and and uh, yeah. and come up with ideas it's 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 not just uh, you know a day at the movies 
No. Yeah, I think the only ones that I really reliably watch start to finish are games that I attend in person now that I think about it. Has a has a preferred KBO team emerged in the in the Jaffe Span household? Or is there division amongst the ranks? I, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say we formed any consensus. I I think going in based on my conversations with people and my own research there are really two teams I think that interest me most. One is the uh, the Lotte Giants because yeah. of the FanGraphs connection with uh, Sungmin Kim and Josh Hertzenberg. You know, having you know now working for them, I've communicated with both of them. You know, over, over the over the last several days, and particularly Josh, we've had some good some good Slack chats, and certainly I'm interested in seeing what they can do. And I'm glad to see they're off to to a good start. Yeah. And then the uh, the NC Dinos seem to have the highest concentrated entertainment factor in terms of the the interesting players, the bat flips. Uh, they have just it seems like a a good a good collection of personalities on that team that uh, that that will be fun to watch and and hopefully you know gain some familiarity in front of American audiences. Yeah, I'll be curious to see, you know, I expected that people would be excited about live baseball, but I think that I was a bit surprised by just how enthusiastic people have been and have continued to be past opening day. You know, you never know how much the novelty is going to be driving the interest, at least in the early going, but it seems like people are pretty excited and it seems like the dinos have really emerged as one of the the favorites for baseball twitter i can't decide if that's like you said because they have a number of very interesting players people seem very enamored with the mascots people mm-hmm. love those dino mascots yeah 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 so um, i'm also I'm, you know i'm also yeah i'm also still i you know i'd like to still keep an eye on the on the cpbl as well right you know there, there was something about there was something really endearing about the cpbl being a four-team league you know when you're when you're trying to learn an yeah. entire new entirely new system you know of baseball that's halfway that's literally halfway around the globe having a four-team league is not a bad thing because you're you're not going to get confused too often on 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 who's who uh even though i i did refer to the to the monkeys as the, as the eagles which is the other oh. rakuten uh, owned uh, team uh, but uh, in in japan not in not in taiwan uh. so that was uh that was a party foul. Uh, well, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I think that people are uh, forgiving as we are, you know, entering new territory that we're all kind of right. learning together. You have written quite a bit for Fangraphs in the last couple of weeks about both of those leagues and have had the experience now of watching English language broadcasts of the CPBL and then the ESPN broadcasts of the KBO. I don't know if uh, you're writing childcare, dog care, mm-hmm. existing under the anxiety of pandemic schedule has allowed for you to watch any of the KBO Korean streams that are available sort of here and there on Twitch. But I'm curious, what has your experience been of of the one versus the other? Because I think there are probably merits to both. I know that when you wrote about watching CPBL for fan graphs, you noted that there were times when the broadcast was very easy to follow and others where, you know, you were trying to link up box scores and sort of rosters to the broadcast and that was a little bit tricky and then we have the the espn product which i think has focused a little less on gameplay although i'll be curious to see kind of how that evolves as we get further out from from opening day and i think they feel like they have to do what i imagine is less sort of orienting of the fan base to the league and its players but what what have your what have your experiences been of those two uh, approaches do you have a preference yeah i well i i mean there's 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 a clear difference between you know the cpbl guys um uh wayne mcneil and i think it's richard wong 
who were doing the uh, the English uh, language broadcast via Eleven Sports uh, from Taiwan. They're relative neophytes, at least in terms of English broadcasts, um, you know. And they're but they're they're palpable enthusiasm and just general welcoming that the good morning, good afternoon, and good evening uh, mm-hmm. salutation, you know, from from wherever you're watching this. You know, I found that to be really endearing. I don't think they have, you know, a. I mean, I think that, you know they they certainly understand the, the 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 fundamentals of the game, and obviously know a lot more about the league than I do. They were not getting into the same kind of inside baseball stuff that I think we expect from American broadcasters, sure. you know, in terms of you know talking about say this guy's pitch selection or whatever. But they would they would break down, you know, if somebody had a you know a fundamental error in the field, you know, they would certainly break it down in a way that was you know easy, I think, for viewers to understand. Like, oh, this you know, this this happened here. You can see he short short hopped it here and never got the handle on it or whatever. But, you know, when I like when I saw that opening night game or opening day game of the KBO and Eduardo Perez had, you know, each pitcher's four pitch arsenal and could tell you, you know, he likes to work inside yeah. with, the, you know, it's like, man, this this guy has done his homework, yeah. you know, and, and and I mean, you know, Eduardo's a pro and has been doing this for a long time. And likewise, Carl Ravitch, it was a little frustrating, uh, the sort of the talking head format. Um, I, I certainly enjoyed hearing uh, Eric Bames's perspective on the league that that first night. But you know, the, the steady stream of visitors at the expense of even, you know, pausing to note what we're seeing in terms of action on the field, I think is a bit of a detriment. And I think they need yeah. to be careful that, look, it's a challenge. They're calling these games from, you know, from the United States, whatever, 12,000, 8,000, I don't know how many thousands of miles away. That can't be easy. There's got to be some some technical uh, issues there in terms of what they're seeing versus what we're seeing. And, and I think, you know, it's maybe there's, that's part of why they've adopted the strategy they have. I have, you know, I, I'd have to watch more games to see, to see it more closely, but I think they need to respect the action on the field and do a better job of, of, of trying to, you know, stay with it and illuminate it, uh, you know, to a relatively an audience that's relatively unfamiliar with them if this is going to catch on for them. Because yeah. if it just becomes a talking head fest, you know, I, I think people will quickly grow weary of that if they're not uh, gaining familiarity with the players. And so that's that that to me is a fear. I also, Jesus, putting these guys, you know, why was an East Coast based yeah, crew doing, right? those, doing, <laughs> doing, doing, doing those games at those ungodly hours? I mean, like if you put a West Coast crew on that. Yeah, um, you could at least get, you know, get a few hours closer to it. It just and it's not quite as unreasonable. So it'll be interesting to see how it unfolds. Obviously, I'm impressed that I don't have the, the particulars of the financials. I'm impressed that ESPN committed to this season long thing yeah. uh, that runs through the through the Korean series. And so, you know, this is going to be a fixture um, that we're hopefully going to adapt to. And it's nice, you know, just to, to toot our own horns, it's nice to see that we've got uh, KBO stats on our site yep. for the first time. Yep. And, you know, I know uh, there's going to be, uh, you know, a learning curve and, and behind the scenes to get like things like a player linker up and running and to do be able to do the stat searches, uh, you know, and whatever and get park factors in there. But, you know, I having spent, you know, so many hours trying to, uh, you know, cross check names and yeah. stats on baseball reference versus versus uh, translated Korean sites. You know, it, this is this will be a, a much more you know this will be a, a big boon because yeah. let's let's face it if we're gonna write you know write, be writing about live baseball 
on-field action for the next couple of months, we're going to have to figure out how how to get the stats for the KBO in an efficient yeah. fashion. And you know, and and not everybody has to do that, but I certainly uh, would like it. I you know, I learned in in putting together that thumbnail guide, learned a lot about the history. I mean, just you know, you I may not have heard of these players, but if I found out this guy's fourth on the Korean League hit list, well, suddenly you know, I'm 38 years old. Suddenly, I'm very interested in, in right. you know, what's what's his backstory and 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 why you know and or somebody like you know where where a guy like Daeho Lee you know and Byung Ho Park guys that we saw glimpses of in the major leagues but only stuck around for for a single season you know where they fit into you know the KBO hierarchy as uh, historically great sluggers and and uh, you know big personalities and things like that so you know, I'd like to learn more and, and uh, like to get uh, a bit more uh, up, up to speed on that. And actually, uh, it was neat. I, there's a reminds me, I have to I have to go answer a Facebook message after this, that uh, a former <laughs> a former KBO player uh, pitcher reached out to me via Facebook and, and you know, offered to uh, uh, lend his insights or whatever. So see what see what he wants and, and have a discussion. I was kind of gratified to see that Josh Lindblom favorited my thumbnail guide. And, yeah. uh, you know, uh, I, he's, he gets mentioned, but obviously now he's uh, stateside uh, back with the Brewers, but I know he follows me on Twitter. So, you know, it's it, it's cool. And, and I think some, you know, some conduits to help, you know, flesh out my primitive analyses of what's going on are, are presenting themselves and hopefully, uh, you know, figure out a way to do this. And that's been really interesting, actually. I mean, and not just yeah. with the, K, the KBO and, and CPBL stuff, but you know, with the lack of live baseball in this hemisphere, at least this, what you know, whatever this continent, you know, I, I, I've had to stretch myself in, in, in ways that, you know, maybe a little bit outside of my comfort zone writing wise. And that's been, I think, a good growth thing. You know, it's when I look when I look at the range of the things that I've done, the interview, the number of interviews I've done. Yeah, that's not it's a very different it's a very different cross section from from what I from what I have typically been doing at Fangraphs, and it's kind of gratifying yeah. to to look back at that and and see that you know that, that stuff has gotten attention and it's gotten and it's you know work that I'm proud of even you know amid all of this uh, surrounding you know nightmare. Yeah, I think it hasn't been. I guess consider considering the handicaps that 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 we're working that we're working with, you know, to be able to, to produce good work that, that that's that's also stretching my own comfort zone. I think is uh, I'm proud of that. Yeah, well, I think you should be. You've done some really excellent stuff over the last couple of weeks. It's just been a, you know, I think that we're all sort of struggling at different points on any given day to have something feel normal. And it is yeah. very nice to have reminders of that, even if they're, you know, even if they're like normal, annoying things. It's so nice to be annoyed by the things you used to be annoyed by. I find myself right. grateful for well, you know, as opposed to the existential dread that you feel yeah. when you when when you look outside and and see see what's you know see everything boarded up or or, or hear yeah. sirens in our case, I mean, you know, it's just it's. Have they stopped? Have they stopped buzzing planes in New York to support frontline healthcare workers? Uh, there that was one. Like there was. Very... I think there was there was one yesterday. I mean, I'm oh, you know my office doesn't have any windows. I'm in the middle of you know the geographic middle of our 1,200 square foot unit here with. Mm -hmm. uh, no way to see out see out and overhead so i couldn't tell you when when the plane flew over but that's just such you know such uh, a ridiculous uh, waste of people's time and money when when it could all be used for something uh, much more tangible benefit 
Yeah, it's, I appreciate that for, for some, the performative aspects of that might be meaningful, but it does seem a little silly on its face and just like we could be deploying those resources more effectively pretty much any other way we do it. Yeah. Uh, not to mention, it seems, I don't know, like a bad idea to buzz buildings with planes in lower Manhattan. I don't know yeah, We do not have a great, you know, this country does not have a great history with, with low-flying planes in, lo in, in lower Manhattan. It's, uh, yeah, yeah, there's, if you want an unpleasant reminder of yeah of uh, the last time this country was shut down you know there you go yeah yeah so it's nice to have a couple of normal things to be annoyed about and also things to be proud of in the midst of all of this i think the work you've done is really great and i i one of the things Thanks. you you've talked to a number of different people over the last couple of weeks to prepare Pair our readers for the KBO season and the CPPL season for that matter. And I think one of the things in the conversation that you had with Dan Kurtz, who runs mykbo.net, was particularly useful to me in framing the way that I think about KBO baseball because it's natural, I think, to compare it to MLB because that's what our sort of typical frame of reference for professional baseball is. But Dan made a point that you included in your interview that, you know, the KBO is the KBO and we should try to sort of accept it and take it at on its face as its own distinct entity rather than, you know, sort of perpetually comparing it to the majors. And with all of that said, and that wonderful lens in mind, I'm going to now ask you to compare <laughs> the KBO <laughs> to the majors. And just, Jay, as you have watched games over this last week, you know, what are some of the, the differences that have jumped out at you that you have sort of enjoyed the most? Because I think we were all, and this is obviously a very small price to pay, both for public safety and for baseball <laughs> being back, but we were all denied um, the delight of watching the sort of fan atmosphere in the KBO. Yeah. which is famous and for a very good reason so we don't get to sort of revel in that bit of contrast with our american stodginess when it comes to baseball but but there's still plenty of differences between the two leagues and their style of play and so i'm curious what what differences have you enjoyed the most well you know i have to say i am enjoying the fact that this is a more contact centric ball and play league yeah. you know i've seen a few home runs but they're you know Going back to, to to this is kind of refreshing. Yeah. The action moves a lot more quickly. You know, I don't know about the, the, where the time of games is falling because I'm not seeing games start to finish. But you know, the I'm not seeing a lot of nine pitch at bats, and that's fine because I don't miss those that yeah. that much. That's 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 towards the that's towards the end of the spectrum of things things that I could things that I will miss less. I'm not sure if I've seen a single infield shift yet. I know it's not very common over there. You know, that said, I know that there, you know, there is a a, a growing uh, movement towards analytics, and there there's uh, track man in the ballparks and that kind of stuff. I don't know if it's how how publicly available it is. I haven't seen it publicly available, but I know, you know, teams are using it, and and uh, I know that the 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 Lotte Giants, you know, with the regime change that brought in our aforementioned former colleagues, as well as uh, Pitch framer extraordinaire Hank Conjure and and uh, some of the uh, other you know I guess the the general manager that was hired from the Cubs from the Theo Epstein regime you know they're bringing a a very uh, Western you know 21st century MLB mindset to the league in hopes that it can help turn things around but you know it is this is this has been old school you know seeing guys you know that not every pitcher is striking out nine you know a, a batter per inning that you know the home runs are relatively scarce and and that there's just a lot more a lot more movement a little bit more emphasis on batting average i have a uh, going back to november when we did that new york city live thing 
I still have that 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 piece in mind. The let's give it about batting average again uh, <laughs> that, I, that I'm intending to write at some point. Hopefully, when you know if and when there's a, a major league season to point to. But uh, if not, maybe uh, it'll be a response to uh, to what we're seeing in Asian the, the Asian leagues here because uh, that seems to be different. But those are the things that that mainly stand out. You know, it's a small sample size, but it's 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 fun. You know, I I know that there are rooting guides that'll tell you, oh, this team is the Cardinals of the of the, right. of the league, and this is the Mets, and I you know I I feel like those analogies are always kind of a little strained, and I tried to not get into that other way, caught hell for Mets fans because of uh, uh, you know one one comparison that wasn't even my own, but you know the way I the way I look at it is um, not too dissimilar from when I would go to a minor league game, which is not yeah. all the time, you know, but I go to a, a handful a year. You know, here in, in in Salt Lake City, if the opportunity presents itself, uh, where I'm visiting my parents, and you know, anytime I go to a minor league game, I'm asking, you know, my 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 friends and colleagues who who traffic and prospect stuff, who should I keep an eye on? Like, if you could give me like three or four names to sort of center my attention, you know, amid uh, you know two lineups that I don't know much about, that's usually enough to keep you know to keep to keep me engaged, and that's kind of how I'm looking at this. Yeah. Uh, and how I, how I approached my my guide is that like okay you know the, the the two hitters and the pitcher you might want to pay attention to here are you know A B and C here you know and that kind of anchors your understanding at least until you get more familiar with everything else and maybe gravitate towards watching a team you know because it's otherwise it's the the learning curve otherwise is daunting yeah and you know there's nothing wrong with just using the game as as a refreshing you know baseball flavored backdrop if if that's all it needs to be you know you you need it to be but you know, for for those of us who I think maybe hope to hope to learn enough about the league to to write with a little bit of authority about it. Yeah. You know, there's there's going to be uh, there's going to be a learning curve. Yeah, the degree of uh, familiarity that that we need to have is obviously very different than the degree of familiarity that someone just flipping on ESPN needs to have. So I, you know, I think that finding those anchors is very useful as you, you know, accumulate. It's you know, we we all had a we've all had a period of transition from being mostly fan types to being more serious followers of the game as we try to forge careers in it. And this isn't all that dissimilar from that transition right, where right. you know, we're we're trying to accumulate that sort of visual memory so that you know, when you see a guy in quarter profile, you're like, "Hey, that's that's that guy. I right, I know because right, I have right. watched him play enough." Right, that kind of stuff takes time. So having you know a few guides to help you through, I think, is very useful. Although I will admit, Jay, it just felt so good to fall half asleep to mm-hmm. baseball sounds and then wake yeah. up and go, "Oh gosh, I I need to you know make my way to bed instead of sleeping the." whole night on the couch because I've fallen asleep in front of ESPN. That felt very familiar <laughs> in a way that was really nice. <laughs> right, 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 right. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, what I loved what I loved most about that that first night was, that, you know, I was up, at, you know, 2 a.m. or whatever, drinking a fancy craft beer and, and you know, snarking on Twitter with, with yeah. people. I think, you know, they, it was that was just that felt that felt very normal. I'm making fun of Matt Williams, and, you know, yep. <laughs> and, you know, and, and people are, are in on the joke. And, you know, we've all struggled to find things to, la- to, to laugh about and to provide some levity, you know, during this grim time. So, so, yeah. you know, for a little while there, it just it, that felt, you know, it was, was it was quite a relief to say the least. Oh yeah, it was um I think that this is part of why apart from the s- sort of more salacious parts of it, I know that you 
I think have some very strong fan feelings about Michael Jordan one way or the other and some of those teams uh, yes. that he played for. But I think this is part of why people have responded to The Last Dance so strongly is that it is a thing happening at a particular time. And granted, like KBO games are many multitudes of rebroadcasts of all of the episodes of that. But it is a thing that is happening in real time that we all have to come together to react to. And the thing we're reacting to is not, you know, the failure of government response or, or anything yeah. like the, quite so serious as that. It's realizing that if anyone ever said anything about a human being in comparison to Michael Jordan and he did not care for it, he made it his mission to destroy that person, even if they <laughs> weren't the one who made the comparison. Oh, God, yeah. It's yeah. just like, wow, Jerry Krause, please don't say anything nice about any other player in the NBA ever or Michael Jordan will, like, salt their fields, destroy their families. <laughs> That's a little dramatic, but it's... a kilt. <laughs> gosh, I was like, the, gr the grudges, my goodness, golly. The, um power cars off that yeah i think emma was emma was editing something about a pickup basketball game in the in the white Sox camp where some white Sox player trash talked him and it was like you know like about basketball i mean like yeah ser seriously i mean you were just you were going to be you know humiliated within seconds here because you're just you know you caught you you, you caught the best you know what was arguably the best player ever in the game to that point at least yeah. you know and in a rare moment where he where he wasn't at his absolute best but you know you you, you know you, the hubris is just going you know is 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 just amazing yeah if you think that that's going to you know history is going to repeat itself enough for you to get that a second time yeah uh, so um that was that was amusing yeah gosh it's just um yeah it seems so obviously wrong it's like when people in a horror movie go into the basement you're like well what did you expect of course he's down there <laughs> that's yeah that's how these go yeah well i think that you know we will luckily have much more to talk about um, when it comes to the KBO in the coming weeks, as people get more familiar with the players and the teams and the league and its beats. So we'll have plenty to talk about there. And it seems likely, however well or ill-advised it ends up being, that we will probably see some version of a major league season this year, even if it's one that comes in fits and starts, depending on how well-crafted the response to COVID-19 is. But one thing that we are not going to see that you wrote about for Fangraphs on Friday is Hall of Fame induction weekend, not postponed, but just canceled, just straight up canceled for 2020. We are in yeah. 2020. It's weird to be in a year that is so terrible that we will remember for so long and still never know when it is. That's the thing I'm going to reflect on for a while. But Jay, you, you wrote a really wonderful piece where you spoke to a number of people at the Hall of Fame. You spoke to business owners in Cooperstown to get a sense of sort of not only how the hall is reacting, but how the city is reacting to the cancellation of induction weekend. And I will link to the piece in the, the post for this podcast, and I'm sure that many people have taken a look at it on Fangrass already, but can you, for our listeners, just um, sort of orient them in terms of how many people sort of typically descend on Cooperstown for induction weekend? Because as our resident Hall of Fame expert and a resident of the state of New York, you've been to a number of these uh, and have a good sense. So how, how many people would we 
be talking about if this were a normal non-COVID year? Well, last year there were 55,000. I think that was the estimate. And these estimates are very loose. And, sure. you know, we've probably come with a little bit of uh, helium in them. Yeah. <laughs> but it was that that was said to be that, which, you know, it was driven by Mariana Rivera and to a lesser extent Mike Messina and the fact that enough, you know, New Yorkers, people in the, you know, the tri-state area live close enough that they could drive up for the day and then depart without having to worry about lodging and all that. But typically, I think it's, you know, maybe more like 20,000, 30,000, 40,000 in recent years. And this year was expected to draw, to, to approach the, re- the the record, which was set in 2007 with uh, Tony Gwynn and Kyle Ripken getting in uh, of something like, I've seen 82,000, I've seen 90,000, you know, whatever the number. This was expected to rival it, you know, driven by Derek Jeter and his popularity. And, you know, unfortunately, that's not going to happen. And, you know, when I talk to the people... I think there was this anticipation of, of this being, you know, a, a very good year for, you know, for them, extra growth. I mean, it's been a boom time for, for, for the Hall of Fame with all the players that have been honored over the last half a dozen cycles. You know, it's drawn a steady stream of increasingly larger audiences and, and mm-hmm. you know, and and, uh, and greater attention to the Hall. And, that, and that's been good. And now we, they've got this, you know, massive setback. And, you know, it's not that things haven't you know, happened before that have been setbacks like 2013. No BBWA candidates were elected. And I think the estimates for that weekend, I've seen 2,500. And, and even that was probably uh, an inflated estimate from what I was told. Sure. You know, and, but uh, you have to go back to 1960 to find a year, uh, the last time there was no ceremony. And this also has, I think, a lot, something in common with 1942 when there were wartime travel restrictions that prevented there being uh, an induction. But, you know, this, um, for those years, there was no induction date on the calendar, right. at least that reached, you know, that reached planning phase. This is, you know, the, the rug has been pulled out. I mean, not without reason. I think I, actually, I, you know, and I said this when I reached out to the hall and, and ended up uh, getting uh, uh, an interview with Tim Mead, the president of the Hall of Fame, you know, I applaud the hall for making a decision that was almost about a weekend that was almost three months away. Yeah. I thought they said they set a strong example for institutional responsibility by not wavering over this, by saying, you know, by, the, the handwriting was on the wall. Yeah. What Tim told me you know, is that, you know, the, the board of directors met twice via conference call and voted unanimously. They didn't even need to consult a public health expert. They were like, this is, you know, we're smart enough to see what's going on here and this yeah. is not good. And, you know, to to be drawing people from all across the country, even across the world for this weekend and then sending them back out from whence they came just has the potential to have disastrous consequences. And, you know, yes, they're I think, you know, in some ways they're just being proactively protective of their own brand because nobody wants to be associated with with spreading a pandemic. That's just not a good not a good uh, uh, not a good sales pitch. No, you know, but but they they didn't waver over it. They didn't dicker around. and, And I think. When you you know contrast that to, uh, I mean, look, even Major League Baseball's, you know, they're they're wavering over it to the point of, you know, what I think to some appears to be recklessness, you know, in terms of charging ahead when the rest of this country is not ready to to reopen. So I thought that, I thought that the Hall set a set a really good example there, and and it's you know it it, it stinks, and I know that you know there are business owners. I talked to small business owners, uh, uh, people I'd met from my times uh, traveling up there. It's not just induction weekend, 
you know, the, the loss of induction weekend that's a big blow. It's the loss of the steady stream of traffic that the Cooperstown Dreams uh, Youth Tournament brings. Right. And the post-induction traffic, you know, the people that will come up in August, you know, in September to see the, the new plaques, particularly the new Derek Jeter plaque if they're, you know, if they're New Yorkers and, and uh, you know, are within uh, a couple hours drive but just didn't want to brave the crowd. And they're losing out. But there's also, I think, a certain protectiveness of, you know, they that I mean, they've been relatively untouched by the virus up there. I mean, yeah. there were six, 62 cases in all of Otsego County. Uh, I hope I'm saying that correctly. In a, uh, a county of 62,000 people and only four deaths. And I think when Cooperstown, the town itself, which is about 1,800 people, shut its doors in March on March 15th or, or thereabouts, there were like three or four cases in town. Yeah. So I mean, they've had to they've had to bear this extraordinary burden, you know, the sacrifice. And, and at the same time, it, you know, the hall, the hall itself has an international reach and certainly a national reach. And so it's a very uh, interesting balance that I think is, you know, we're seeing the rural versus urban tensions play out yeah. all over the country in this decisions to reopen. Um, and I think, you know, that I, I'm not sure I quite expected this story to be unfold along these lines when I, when I reported it, but it really just, it really just sort of made clear this, this these tensions. And to me, I think that made it, a, you know, a more interesting story than just, oh, bummer, here's the hall closing. It's, it's yeah. this very delicate balance, you know, this this ecosystem that, that's uh, that's under threat. Yeah, I was sort of very impressed with the Hall of Fame's decision, with the, the town's willingness to sort of cooperate and rally around that, even if it is obviously very difficult economically for folks, which they, you know, appropriately noted here, um, to, to realize that because most of the folks coming to events around the hall and even around these baseball series that kids play are from out of town that they would essentially be inviting that stuff into into their area and then potentially sending sending it all over the country or the world if they were to to host things i think it probably helps that so many of the hall of famers who are always in attendance for induction weekend are themselves in a of an age where they are part of a vulnerable population yeah because again like n no one getting sick out of this would be good and can you can you just imagine the the terrible headlines if you know yeah. the half the existing hall of famers were to succumb to coronavirus because they came together to celebrate Derek Jeter that's just terrible <laughs> that, that's a yeah it's a bad look you know you're the yeah. you, you you'd be the equivalent of killing santa claus i mean you know you just, yeah you don't you don't want to be uh, you don't want to be known as the as the uh, the people responsible for that. Yeah, I I appreciate their desire. I know they didn't put it in quite these terms, but it is nice to see that someone has the instinct to not do a good sort of Larry Vaughn in Jaws impression, <laughs> uh, despite the fact that this is the equivalent of the shark circling the island for an entire summer and not just the Fourth of July. So yes. You know, yeah, that's a good seems way to put like it. a bit of foresight that they will be happy that they were wise enough to have there. And, you know, looking ahead to uh, 2021, assuming that the world is in such a state that, you know, that kind of a large gathering feels safe and not irresponsible, it sort of shifts the balance of that weekend pretty considerably because Jay Jaffe, you are a resident Hall of Fame expert, and in editing you, my understanding is that really the only notable Hall of Fame inductee that we were pretty much guaranteed next summer was Kurt Schilling. 
And now we will have that diluted some. So is it yeah. that there aren't many um, actual silver linings to any of this, but it's <laughs> that's not a terrible one if we're going to list trivial things that we're going to get out of this horrifying yes. experience that we're all sharing. <laughs> Yeah, I would I, I would agree. I would also add though that you know there's there's a good possibility that hopefully somebody from the two the uh, committees, yeah. era, era committees uh, gets in and and if it's you know there there are potential living inductees uh, on the Golden Days committee. That's right. Including uh, Dick Allen yeah. and Tony Oliva, and by themselves, either of them would not draw you know a huge amount of people to Cooperstown. I mean, if you paired either of them with Schilling. Uh, it wouldn't do much. You might actually have better results if it were if it were Gil Hodges, mm -hmm. the late Gil Hodges, just because there is still such a you know cult of aging Dodgers and Mets fans who revere Hodges, uh, you know, and and I think uh, this would be a, a a certain amount of closure for them if if he were elected because he is uh, I think unique in terms of the close but no cigar Hall of Fame candidates. He's always yeah. the the, site, the the one I have to cite. Uh, as getting to uh, getting to sixty percent, but not getting in. But uh, you know, this having having a Jeter plus group to buffer that, I think is a, is will will be an advantage for the Hall next year, and and will still help to you know uh, elevate what might otherwise be a potentially uh, muted celebration. Yeah. Well, a little bit shame on me for forgetting that Dick Allen was one of the possibilities for a committee. That would be that would be a nice thing to get to see. To see Dick Allen commemorated, he had a, a tricky career defined by the era, so it would be nice to have him. Yeah, I just I just spoke to somebody about his career actually, Megan Montemurro for the yeah. for the Athletic. I don't know if that piece went up yet, but I know she was writing about him. Well, I'll take a look to see if it has. I know that when Shakia Taylor was doing her residency with us, she wrote a really lovely piece on him. Yeah, so yeah. I'll be sure to link to that, and I'll check to see if Megan's piece is out because he's still involved with the Phillies organization in a couple of different forms so or was I, I know he's he's into his late 70s now so might have taken a step back seems to have earned it yeah well hopefully Jay you will get to enjoy a hall of fame induction next summer uh, with all sorts of folks around and have that feel good, but we will not wait that long to have you back on Fangraphs Audio. But I am <laughs> okay. conscious of how of the time on this Friday, so I'm going to let you go so you can hopefully enjoy another good craft beer. But uh, thanks for joining me, Jay. All right, sure thing, Meg. Good to talk. 